Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and thank you for listening in. Tonight, I have Dr. Linda Hodge, um, and uh, she is a triple-boarded, not one or two, but triple-boarded certified physician. She's boarded in internal medicine, critical care medicine, and obesity medicine. And I love what she does because she's a self-proclaimed multi-potential light and I'll let her define that but it seems like she just loves what she does and uh, loves every aspect of life and uh, she has a book out um, called weight weight loss that works and uh, she has an online coaching program so um, Linda thank you so much for coming on to the show I really appreciate it thank you for having me I appreciate the invite yeah definitely um, I'd love to start off by asking you, um, just tell us and share a little bit about your story, about how did you get to this point, you know, from your journey through your own life, whether you battled, you know, through any, um, you know, your personal health um, obstacles um, or lack thereof, and uh, how you became a physician and really getting to your specific points, um, because I... I feel like the story is really the juice of everything, and I would love for you to share that with everyone. Sure. Um, so I always joke that I, I became a physician because I ran out of other things to do. I didn't know when I was little that I wanted to be a physician. I actually didn't even start medical school till I was 27, I think. So I was a little behind a lot of my classmates. Um, I graduated from high school, went to college, uh, was an exercise science major in Missouri, and I ended up graduating and I taught high school for a while and I was a substance abuse counselor for a while. I just didn't know what I I wanted to do specifically. But, you know, when it came time to really make some decisions, I thought, you know, I really liked all the physiology classes that I took in college. So I just, I had to go back to college because, um, or had to go back and take a lot of classes because in college, I, the first time around, I had a lot of fun and Mm -hmm. didn't take some of the classes that I probably should have taken the first time. So that took a little while. Um, And so then I, you know, I got accepted into medical school and I ended up uh, matching into a surgery residency and soon found out that surgery wasn't the direction I wanted to go. So I switched to um, internal medicine, and then from there I did a two-year critical care fellowship at the University of Iowa, and I've been practicing critical care ever since. Um, However, in the back, though, there was always this underlying huge interest in, you know, physical fitness and um, nutrition that I wasn't sure I could make a living with it, but it was just, you know, always just kind of something that I, Mm -hmm. I pursued on my own. And and I was an overweight child um, until probably my late teens. And so it was just, you know, and I remember how that, I've never forgotten how that felt mm. um, to be the, the little overweight girl in school. But um, so it was just kind of 
number one, I was inherently interested in it because I'm interested in everything, it seems. But number two, I always wanted, I always felt that I wanted to help people not ever feel like I felt then. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, so um, I was practicing critical care in St. Louis in 2011, and I was doing CrossFit, and I was the most active I'd ever been in my entire life. Mm. I was doing CrossFit, or I would get off work in the morning, say I worked overnight, I would get off work at 7, and I would go to CrossFit at 8, and then I might meet some friends and trail run even after that. Mm. But I started to gain weight and I and I couldn't figure it out so I talked to one of the trainers and you know kind of told her what was going on and I was on the verge of tears because mm. I'm talking like 15 pounds over the course of just a couple months in the summer and she said I will never forget the conversation she said well how many carbohydrates are you eating a day and you know I thought into my in my brain I was like well why the hell does that matter I, mm-hmm. you know, nobody had ever asked me about carbs before. And so she talked a little more and, you know, I'm still, my brain's kind of, you know, going, wait, this is, this is not what we were taught in school. I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm buying this. Mm-hmm. And so she says, well, why don't you, why don't you start keeping track of this stuff? So fortunately I was off work that day. So I left CrossFit, went right home and started Googling all the stuff that she had been talking about. And mm-hmm. I I just couldn't believe what I was reading. I couldn't believe, you know, the misinformation that I had been taught my entire career. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe all of the the different information that was out there that I mean, I had been telling patients the wrong thing. I had been doing the wrong thing myself. I mean, my jaw just hit the floor that day and I really considered it a social injustice that we had treated people and patients so poorly with all of this bad information, um, you know, about the food pyramid and and things like that, that I just, I, right there, I just was hooked on just making it right. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm curious, just a quick question is, uh, did you gain weight uh, after you started CrossFit or was that something you kind of led into your, the, the program start? No, I gained weight after I started CrossFit, and I knew just from my background that nobody puts on muscle that quick. Mm-hmm. But the mixture of, you know, I, I when I started actually paying attention, the mixture of a whole lot more night shifts with, you know, every time I got my, you know, kids some pretzels, I would have some pretzels, or mm. I would finish what was on their plate. And so it was just kind of a perfect storm for probably a little bit of insulin resistance, even though I was super mm. active. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the stress of just doing doing my job as well. But, um, you know, the second, the absolute second I cut out those little extra helpings of this or mm-hmm. that that I was mm-hmm. doing, it the weight just fell off. I mean, just effortlessly, effortlessly fell off. And I just, mm-hmm. I was absolutely, couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting how, um, you know, you, you see patients kind of come through and they talk about, for example, their own uh, weight loss journey and the different yo-yo diet, different fads they go through, the different ups and downs. And it's much different when you personally experience it, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, the different obstacles and uh, struggles that you have to go through. And I think um, it's a blessing in disguise, you know, um, I'm sure you would agree. And it's uh, something that you can relate to and help your patients kind of further their own journey because 
you know, you have a firsthand experience. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, and when I when I was an overweight kid and lost weight then, that was easy. I just, you know, back then it was, you know, it was before I had kids, before I was, you know, pulling all-nighters, working all night. You know, it was more of the true calories in, calories out when I was, you know, 15 and 16. But, you know, things work a little different after two babies and being almost 40, you know, mm-hmm. and and so it wasn't necessarily um, the quantity and just overeating. It was like, okay, now I have to focus on exactly what I'm eating as well. Right, right. Exactly. The quality. Exactly. So number one, I mean, you know, I love CrossFit. I actually I'm relatively new to it um, because me personally, I've been doing a mixture of aerobic conditioning with like triathlons and marathons and, you know, a lot of stuff. But I just, for me, I just couldn't really get myself to stay in the gym, you know, like doing the reps and sets and trying to figure out what, you know, what works, what doesn't work was very frustrating. And so, you know, I just, I, I loved, I loved the, um, you know, the, the process and system that they have in place. So, you know, I definitely applaud you for furthering your own uh, physical health. To add to your point about, uh, you know, how the different certifications and uh, the different learning that you've uh, under underwent, um, I think, I don't think a lot of people understand, um, you know, when you sign up to be a physician, you're signing up for lifelong learning. And I can definitely, you know, um, agree with you that, you know, the learning doesn't stop and then the learning becomes you know, even much more when you get interested in X, Y, and Z. So I definitely, uh, you know, I can, I, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel that, uh, that, that burning candlelight just keep going because it's just, you know, it's kind of hard to satisfy, you know, how much we have to not just learn to keep up, but, you know, especially when you have such, you know, such great interests, you know, for right. you, it's obesity and weight loss. So, Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. So my next question to you is um, in terms of critical care, I'm actually interested in this piece. Did you find any correlation or any associations um, in terms of how you treat patients now versus how you treated patients when uh, you did critical care? I'm assuming you're not doing critical care or you're still doing critical care. I still do critical care. Yeah. I'm probably a a, a three-quarter employee, a 0.7 FTE. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I still, that's kind of my main job and all this other stuff is just kind of the side gig and what I do for, I mean, for fun and to help people and um, kind of satisfy, you know, I joke that I don't have any hobbies, so I have to just keep picking up new different fields of medicine to do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you find a lot of um, lifestyle-related diseases that show up in some form in the critical care setting? Oh, 100%. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know, lifestyle, you know, and then let's just fast forward to inflammation that can cause pretty much everything that I see in the ICU, mm-hmm. except, you know, just accidents and traumas. But um, yeah, most, most definitely from heart disease to, you know, diabetes and infections, it's, there are a lot of lifestyle factors that go into a lot of what I see. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And is it um, challenging or is it difficult to um, really talk about that in the critical care setting? Obviously, you know, when patients are in, you know, the intensive care unit, you know, they are less either they're incapacitated or they're unable to voice or even be conscious, you know, half the time, you know, to be able to kind of get a one-on-one counseling session, right? But do you feel, you know, when they are able to, um, are, you know, how much counseling are you able to do um, and or how much counseling are you able to do with family members? And do you feel like it hits home, so to speak, um, you know, in that type of environment? So it just it just depends on the patient. Um, you know, one of the things that um, I'm sure you already know, but one of the things, like you know, say I have a patient that is able to talk and understand, and 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 um, you know, actually have a conversation. And you you probably already know that it just it has to be right. It has to be you know a, a, the right feeling. The patient you have to get the feeling that the patient will be perceptive to bringing these things up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that is especially true in the ICU after they may have just survived something that's very traumatic. So if I feel that that's right, or, you know, for example, if there's a post-op heart patient for, you know, and then they're wanting to make some changes, you know, you can always kind of tell, um, you know, when people want to talk or when they, when they are open to those sorts of conversations. So that's the first thing. Um, and if they are, heck yeah, I, I jump right in and, and we talk about, you know, things like that and how their weight may have contributed to this and, you know, are they ready to change and would they like a little bit of, you know, some pointers or some help. You know, my my private, um, my online coaching and then my when my weight loss clinic was actually accepting new patients, I mm-hmm. it was private from the hospital. So I really couldn't, you know, recruit patients. Um, but I would just say, hey, it's a huge interest of mine. I'm also board certified in obesity medicine. I could talk about mm-hmm. this all day. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to have a conversation, I'm here. Um, family members are always, almost always willing to talk about it because they see their loved one a lot of times, you know. I, you know, I've tried to get them to lose weight or I've tried to have them help them make changes. And so the loved ones a lot of times are, are kind of in tune um, with what needs to happen. Uh, so that is always a little bit easier. Um, mm-hmm, sometimes mm-hmm. we get the enablers in there, but you know, I, I think that one of my gifts is I'm just people just talk to me very easily about this stuff. So no, I'm not. If the timing is right and I and the feeling is right, I I 100% talk about it in the ICU. Yeah, because that's such a such a unique environment to be in. Because like you said, you know, it's not really you know, sitting down having coffee or it's like a, it's not like a one-on-one with your primary care. You know, it's, it's after you face some sort of trauma, whether it's physical injury or a very, very bad complication from a chronic disease, for example. So it is for the most part, I would imagine, you know, and you would, you know, know more is, you know, you would have family members, if the family members are present to be able to kind of counsel slash coach them to kind of, you know, or maybe just explain, just to educate them a little bit more of, you know, how they even got there. Because like you said, and I agree with you, you know, a lot of things, the root of most chronic, you know, uh, you know, chronic lifestyle related diseases, you know, is from, you know, inflammation. And that is due to, you know, how we uh, put things in our mouths, um, how frequently we do it and how long we've been doing it. Plus, you know, and or whether we move, smoke, do any risky substances, stress, weight, things like that. So it's kind of like a multi-package, you know, deal. And um, unfortunately, you know, the patients don't really see that. And 
a little bit of education goes a long way. So I really, really like the fact that, you know, you have this, um, you know, hobby, <laughs> quote unquote hobby to be able to kind of get them on board, you know, and, you know, get them further on the back end. Right. Yes. Yeah, and it's, it comes pretty natural to me. And I, I mean, the bottom line is I just love to, I love doing it. Were you able in terms of your own personal journey, be able to kind of, uh, find that right formula for yourself to, to, uh, to be able to optimize your own health, that first encounter of whole, whole cards and Googling and all that? Yeah. Um, you know, so I, being in the CrossFit community at, at that point, I went like completely strict paleo. It, I felt great. It helps me. And I, and I don't, I probably do about 90, 10 if, if I had to put a, um, a percentage on it. So I'm not as strict as I, as I used to be. I've lightened up a little bit, but, um, it's the biggest thing for me with clean eating in general is it helps me recover from my night shifts. Um, mm-hmm. you know, cause I'm, I'm almost why well, I'm 45 and I just don't recover as easily as I used to. And, and I can really tell, you know, if I indulge in something overnight or haven't been as clean, with mm-hmm. my eating, oh my goodness, I I don't recover very well, and I really feel mm-hmm. those shifts for days. Um, mm. So it 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 really for me impacts my life so much more than my weight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure in terms of you know mental clarity, in terms of you know how you feel from you know just like you know sleep, um, you know just recovering from your shifts before because. You know, you know, patients don't know or people who are not in the healthcare field don't know is, you know, we have to do different shifts. We have to do long shifts, sometimes 10, 12 plus, you know, even more, sometimes uh, hour shifts um, at a time. Sometimes we have to do that two or three times, um, you know, um, in a week. You know, I just interviewed um, uh, on the early episodes in OBGYN and, you know, they also have very, very... Um, uh, multiple shifts, you know, and many, many call schedules. Um, a call schedule is basically, you know, when there is a emergency for our audience members, when there's an emergency that comes up, you know, we're, we're called in to kind of, you know, be able to lend a hand to uh, whatever situation. My question, my next question to you is um, from, you know, a medical perspective and doing what you've been doing, uh, why, what is the importance of weight loss and obesity in our current uh, healthcare era right now? Oh, goodness. Um, so, you know, I guess from a medical perspective, I, I think it's important to realize first that there are so many biological and physiological things about weight regulation that, that we simply cannot consciously control. You know, gyms and some corner box weight loss programs don't understand this at all. And many times, you know, people will go in and pay their money and feel frustrated Mm-hmm. when, you know, whatever cookbook method doesn't work for them. And then, you know, there's one more diet that they failed and they far, fall further into, you know, I can't do this and this is not going to work for me and nobody succeeds under that kind of pressure. Um, so I think, you know, understanding that there's a whole lot of factors involved, that's mm-hmm. one of the most important things. You know, there's so many hormones and neurotransmitters that are involved in weight regulation. And I always joke to my patients and I, you know, I was like, you know, if you think you're so powerful that you can control X, Y, Z hormone, then go do it. You don't need me, but Mm -hmm. obviously, obviously we can't do that. 
Um, and if one of those things is messed up in all the different pathways of weight regulation, then, you know, all bets are off. You know, what worked for Susie down the street is not going to work for you. And mm-hmm. so I think approaching um, obesity from a an understanding of the just the biochemical processes, first and foremost, helps physicians who are educated in this um, relate to patients so much better because we've largely moved away from the just eat less and move more. You know, people mm-hmm. who understand mm-hmm. what's really going on can treat patients so much better. Um, and I think that that's really, really important because I feel like people have started to mistrust their physicians when it comes to this because historically we haven't given good information. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. I mean, that's perfectly justified. We we weren't taught good information, therefore we didn't give good information. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is I, I think that, and also recognizing from a medical perspective that, you know, there's so many health issues that have really exploded because of excess weight, and those require a lot of medical intervention, and it takes somebody pretty skilled to understand how delicate that situation can be when it comes to, you know, the underlying um, the underlying reason for those things is weight. And it just, it's not an easy conversation to have, Um you know, it's easy to say, okay, you, you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and here's what we need to do, but it's it's taking it one step into that really uncomfortable zone to say, now we need to talk about the extra 50 pounds you're carrying and how we're going to get that off. Not mm. a lot of people feel comfortable doing that, and that's fine. Send them to me or send them to one of my, you know, my certified colleagues. We'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I think that just recognizing from, you know, a physician standpoint that these lifestyle diseases require lifestyle answers um, is very, very important. And I think mm-hmm. I think patients are wanting help from their physician. And if, if the physician isn't trained and knowledgeable in the field, the results can be really detrimental. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we can cause the medical stuff to worsen, but most importantly, it just causes further distrust and, um, you know, if a patient's not getting good information, and I was guilty of this, you know, when I was a resident and didn't know all the stuff that I know now, I sent patients home and told them to increase their, you know, oh, just increase your whole grain. Cereal is great as long as it's whole grain. You know, and they came back to me heavier and thicker, and, yeah, I, I thought that they weren't being honest with me about what they were eating when they were mm. 100% probably being honest. I mm-hmm. was the one that was wrong. And that's so that's I think that that's probably one of the most dangerous things is that we can mistrust patients when they're doing exactly what they say they're doing, but we don't have the knowledge to help them the best the best that we can. So I feel like there's a lot of new obesity training out there and um if a physician isn't interested in it, then there's so many of us now that are certified in it. There's I mean, there's almost a person, I'm sure, in every state at this point, and um, I think 700 people, 800 people took the obesity exam last year. I mean, it's people are yeah. getting certified, and there's always going to be somebody to refer to, and we love to do this. So Yeah. Yeah, obesity medicine is actually a relatively newer uh, subspecialty, um, if you can even call it that. And um and it's always evolving. Um, there's more science um, and more data. And, you know, like you said, we're, we weren't taught this. Uh, for me personally, um, 
you know, like I've mentioned in my early episodes, um, I just personally just received 10 credit hours of nutrition. And that was mostly just biochemistry. You know, I didn't really talk about, um, you know, the source of food, um, the different food groups, how to read a nutrition label, um, how to prepare meals, you know, what are the differences between, you know, um, hold and process and refine, um, you know, just stuff like that. You know, I had to actually go out and, you know, do further you know, training, you know. And, um, and so I, it's interesting that you say that it leads to distrust because, you know, when you actually look up um, uh, studies and surveys, um, most patients uh, defer to their primary care physician as their single trusted source, you know, for this kind of information. Right. But when you have, you know, majority of physicians, you know, they did a survey, uh, I think the latest survey was back in 2010, where they polled a lot of medical schools, and, you know, only 27% actually required uh, nutrition um, as part of their uh, curriculum. And, um, you know, doctors and residents and medical students, and, you know, they actually, you know, when they poll them, they actually don't feel as confident as they would like to, even though you know, patients do defer to them. They're, they're not even confident in giving that kind of information because they don't even have um, the knowledge, you know. And so um, that's why I think, uh, you know, organizations or colleges like the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and, you know, different other types of uh, 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 education like our obesity medicine fellowships and, you know, just this further training helps us as practitioners be able to level up um, to be able to give um, you know, just more quality care. So right, right. Which is, I mean, which is needed because you know, if if the population now in our country is reaching forty percent obesity rate, I mean, mm-hmm. it's you're going to be dealing with this as a disease, and all of the um, the emotional and psychological things that come with it. And I think mm-hmm. that. If you're the if you're the gatekeepers, the primary care physicians, I feel like you have to know a little bit about this because it's it's not a minor thing for these for these people. This is a major thing for a lot of these people. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it's just it's so important that it's approached gently and appropriately, but yet you know firmly, and where boundaries are set, but respect and compassion is also given. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's the, you know, the foundational of good quality care is empathy and compassion, you know, um, and then just, you know, just really sitting down and understanding where they're coming from. Um. Hey, guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. My uh, my next question to you is, um, you know, more on the patient uh, perspective is, you know, one, do you think fad diets or yo-yo diets, um, you know, work? And if they, you know, do or do not, you know, why? And um, also, in addition to that, you know, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions um, from a patient's eyes about uh, weight loss and obesity right now? So I I guess from the first question, I I guess there's, I think we all have a different opinion on what a fad diet really is. Um, 
you know, if you ask me about HCG drops or, you know, I always joke about the tapeworm diet, which I'm like, please do not do this, but I on a list. <laughs> I saw it on a list of like the top 20 diets. Thank God it was like down on number 20. And I'm like, are you serious? But, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of craziness out there, but I also think that a lot of health professionals and even people that have established themselves in this industry that aren't health professionals, um, you know, trainers and and things like that, that aren't from a medical perspective is what I'm trying to say Mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of people will think keto is a fad or a lot of people will think vegetarianism is a fad and can't, and can't last long. So I, I think you know, you get those things that you can buy off the internet, the cleanses, the detoxes, and I think all of those are, for the most part, a very big fad. But I also think that if you find something that works for you and it works for you long term, then that's what works for you. So if I have a patient who's thriving on keto, you know, we talked, I, you know, I talked that I was on the Jimmy Moore podcast. If you have somebody like him that has thrived on a certain you know, and then you have somebody else on the other hand who's thrived on a plant-based, both of those things are 100% right for that person. Mm. And that's, I guess that's my, that's my take on things because I, I mean, everybody is an individual and we all have different needs. Um, but yeah, certainly the, the yo-yo diets and the lose weight fast, you know, 30 pounds in 30 days, I, I'm always telling my clients and my patients, you know, there's no such thing as losing weight too slow. Um, And I just, you know, a lot of times, you know, with my online coaching program, to be quite honest, I can't compete with some of the stuff that's out there. And those are the patients that they're going to be starting over again and again and again. I mean, they've they've already done done it 10, 12 times. Um, You know, my my slogan on my book is weight loss starts with your mind, not with your behind. And Mm. so I feel like it has to be a mental game regardless of what program you choose. Um, But about the misconceptions, um, to answer the second part, um, I think the biggest misconception is it's still calories in, calories out. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, that's great if you're, you know, young and things work well and you haven't already messed up your body with um, too much processed foods and you're not insulin resistant um, and haven't had kids and aren't approaching menopause and all those all those all these different physiological you know things yes yes but you know all bets are off when we start throwing hormones and the neurotransmitters into the mix and things just don't work how they used to do I mean you know my patients are between you know probably 35 and 55 for the most part and so we'll sit down and we'll talk about you know well you know, what, you know, you're 55. Did, when you think back to your 45, you know, when you were 45, did, did, did your body work the same as it did when it was 25? And they'd be like, oh God, no. And I'll say, well, how do you expect it to work the same way at 55 then? Mm-hmm. You know, so our needs change as we, as we get older. So it, it, the calories in calories out certainly doesn't work for the majority of people as we age. Um, and then I guess the second thing from a patient stamp or patient perspective is, the misconception that it's all about discipline because it's it's very hard to be disciplined in this day and age when these high dopamine releasing foods have been orchestrated to keep yes. us coming back for yes. more. Yes. We can't compete with that. Yes. And um, 
I just read the book, The Pleasure Trap, just a few days ago, actually, and it's phenomenal. And it goes into just the, you know, kind of how it hijacks your neurocircuitry. These, they call them magic foods in the book, but it was so mm. eye opening on how we have come to depend on these foods for just, you know, simple pleasure. And anyway, it's, it's a good book. I, I fully endorse it. I think it's a great book, but um, I was further enlightened by that whole process on just how hard it is for people to, you know, so to speak, get back on the wagon, you know, do what they know they're supposed to be doing, but yet they just can't fight those foods. Yeah. Um, so the discipline, it's, it's, you know, you can't expect someone to be on a diet and, re- and restrict themselves when the urge and the desire for these foods is so, so great. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely, of course, um, for me, how I see it is, you know, half of it is definitely personal choice. But, you know, the other half is, what do you choose from, you know, given what you're presented with, and a lot of things that you have mentioned from, you know, we're talking about the diets to, um, to, you know, just basically many aspects of the food industry, you know, they're, they have deep pockets, and they know what to do with those deep pockets. You know, we're talking about how well their, you know, marketing game is, how well their, you know, advertising game is. And, you know, when you get bombarded, you know, with that constantly through commercials and magazines and TV shows and all these things, that, I mean, that's why, they, that's why it's called TV programming for a reason, right? Um, you know, to, to kind of, you think that this is all it is. And now we're dealing with, you know, um, since social media uh, hit um, that, you know, a lot of people are, are, are getting their health information from uh, from the Internet and social media, you know, more recently, you know. Right. And uh, that's where you and I, you know, belong in the group called Doctors on Social Media to be able to kind of fight this kind of pseudoscience and fight, you know, um, you know, people who you know, talk about these health claims without, you know, being health professionals themselves, um, but just, you know, just kind of preach something and, you know, don't really have anything to kind of show for it. Um, so it's very right. important to, you know, for our audience members that, you know, making sure you get the right information and um, going, deferring to your primary care physician, you know, um, if you are lost. And, um, you know, for our, for our primary care providers, you know, if you don't feel comfortable or confident, you know, that's all right. You know, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there are plenty of, you know, specialists and subspecialists um, and uh, doctors, you know, that do it on the side, um, you know, like Linda here, uh, that just, you know, thrives on doing this. And, um, you know, for me personally, I operate, you know, I do family practice. I operate on the grounds. I do, you know, clinic, uh, uh, you know, clinic uh, care. And, um, you know, I work from a team approach. And so, you know, when we work together as a team, um, you know, we can get more stuff done. So. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I, and I just, I want to back up. I didn't, with my, with, with my narrative there, I didn't want to give any impression that discipline wasn't a factor at all. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just to clarify that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's so much that we can, you know, know about discipline, self power, willpower, things like that. But, you know, we also need support and a lot of resources. And, you know, you know, to me, first and foremost, education and very, very good quality information. So, 
So, yeah, I would love to uh, come to a close. Um, you know, this has been great. I personally love to learn about how, you know, my guests thrive. And um, it seems like, you know, you're number one, a lifelong learner. You know, you have such a passion for getting people to, you know, not only lose weight, but to be able to optimize their health. So my question is, is you know, how have you thrived, you know, over, you know, the years yourself? And, you know, from that, can you share three, you know, tips that you can uh, give to our audience members to improve their lives right now? Yeah, so, and I'm going to actually do both all of those at the same time, because the three tips are going to be things that I do. So the first and foremost thing, and this is what my, what my program is based on, and kind of how I parent as well, <laughs> if you that so, you know, I try to look at areas where I'm successful at and I use the thought processes that make me successful in one arena of my life and I transfer those thought processes to another arena. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, if if I teach my kids that overindulgence and excess has consequences, so, you know, and I'm telling my son, hey, you don't need to be watching six hours of YouTube a day, then <laughs> I don't need to be on my phone six hours a day. You know, so... Mm-hmm. You know, if I if I'm telling or if I'm telling myself, you know, if I walk into a, a, a store and I'm like, you know, I don't need that seventh pair of black boots, you know, and I can tell myself no, then I can tell myself no when it comes to the third or fourth piece of pizza as well. If I have the mm. skill set to do it in one arena, then I have the skill set to do it in another. And so mm. I try to that's one of the things that I that I try to transfer those things between, you know, the different parts of my life. Um, I guess number two would be stop comparing uh, myself to others. That was really enlightening mm-hmm. when I finally, finally reached the, the, the age of or maturity point where, where I was able to do that um, because we're all different and, you know, society tells us what is okay and what's not, you know, it's, it's perfectly okay that I have blonde hair and somebody else doesn't have blonde hair, but it's not okay that I'm five foot two and a little bit short, not a supermodel, but somebody else is. I mean, I, I can't discipline myself into being five, eight in a size two. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to happen. So just realizing that there's just differences that, that are okay and you can't do anything about them. So the comparison is just, it, it just has no purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the third thing it would be when it comes to weight, and I, I mean, I'm a girl, I, and I used to be overweight as a kid, so I still struggle with this too, is focus on the things that you can actually change. You know, there's so many things about weight regulation that we don't have control over. And I think, I feel like with most things in our life that we want to change, there's one or two things almost always that move the needle the most. Focus on those things. You know, don't don't focus on whether, you know, Garcinia Cambogia is going to do anything for you. Don't sit there and research something, you know, that you heard about on television for an hour when you could have spent that hour doing food prep or meal planning or going for a walk. You know, focus on the things that are going to move the needle the most. And I think most people will get a lot, a lot better results. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Um, I love it when you are able to kind of, sh- you know, talk about areas of improvement that, you know, you personally go through. And I think um, what I love about doing this is that, you know, it shows to our audience members that, you know, as providers, as doctors, as physicians, that, you know, we're also human as well. And we also have, you know, things that, you know, we need to work on and things to continue to improve. You know, we're not, we're not perfect, you know, but we, 
you know, work very hard to be able to help others. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we can forget that, you know, we, you know, we can't forget ourselves in the process. And so I love the fact that you're able to share that. So thank you very much. Um, for our audience members that want to look you up or learn more about your online program for weight loss, where can they find you? So all of my social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook would be under uh, Dr. Healthy Weight, Dr. Healthy Weight, just spelled out. And then my website is exceptionalweightloss.com. And all the information about my book, my program, they can download the first two chapters of my book free from the website. It's, it's all there. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Well, Linda, thank you so much for coming on to the show, um, you know, and sharing your story. Uh, I personally found it very insightful and, you know, just love hearing, uh, you know, your side of uh, especially obesity, medicine, weight loss, especially from a critical care perspective. So I really, really appreciate uh, your time. And uh, thank you for, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. I had a good time. Uh, this has been another episode of Thrive Bites. If you enjoyed this, uh, please uh, like, subscribe, and uh, follow podcast episodes. And we'll be back uh, next week for a new one. Thank you, everyone. Hey, guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like that episode, please subscribe and follow weekly for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.